Okay, we're going to be in our study in the uh, book of Acts, there in the second chapter. As you're turning, uh, by the way, that was, Jeremy didn't make a mistake earlier, he's just jumping ahead, he won't. <laughs> want to get to uh, some of the meat of the word. He's been reading that, no doubt. I hope you also have been uh, reading along and following along. We gave you that, uh, um, that little outline. And uh, next Sunday, we have Brother Johnny sharing. Where is he hiding? He's hiding someplace over there. Oh, there he is. I couldn't see him shining. He's, no, I'm kidding. Actually, you guys are wearing somewhat similar color. Yeah, so Brother Johnny uh, just hit it out of the park um, uh, on um, Good Friday. So it's outstanding when he shared the word. Looking forward to what he also has to share in from Acts 3 and 4. Um, but uh, we'll... And, and we want to give him that opportunity to share before he goes off to minister as a pastor himself. All right. Praise the Lord. If you're there with me in Acts chapter 2, we'll take up the reading very quickly. It says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting, and they saw what seemed to be like tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And it says they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now we've read more than a mouthful already. I want to read just a little bit more and then stop and pray and ask for the Holy Spirit to give us understanding. Verse 5 says, Now they were saying... Uh, now, they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together uh, in bewilderment, because each of them heard them speaking in his own language. Now, utterly amazed, it says, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then, what, then how is it that each, of, each one of us hears in his own native language? Parthenians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya near Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. And we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask to one another, what does this mean? And that's what I want to ask the Holy Spirit Right now, what does this mean? Join me in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we have read your word this morning. We've sung it. We've shared it. We've prayed it. And we're now asking you again, Lord, to teach us. Guide us into all truth, we pray. Help us to understand the complexity of your scripture at times. Help us to understand, most of all, the simplicity. It's right there before us guiding us and leading us in the way that we should go. Today, Lord, as we read, as we study, as we share, may we also pray that your Spirit would guide us into the truth of the Scripture this day. For we pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, so we've read a little passage here. Well, I need to go back very, very quickly to chapter 1. Chapter 1, as Jeremy so rightly pointed out, this was, a, this was another undertaking, a writing that the, uh, Luke, Dr. Luke, also the historian, put together, and he wants to compile this. So 
Acts is a continuation of it, uh, uh, Luke, as it were. Remember Luke being the gospel, the good news of Jesus, everything he began to do and teach? Well, now we find out what happened after the Lord uh, did his miracles, teachings, and so forth. All of that, and now we carry on with the beginning of the church after he's been lifted up. There we read last time in, in Acts 1, uh, verse 11, where the angels are asking the, the people there, men of Galilee, why do you stand here gazing up into the heaven? This same Jesus who you've seen ascend into heaven will come in, like, in the like fashion. He's going to be coming back in the same way. And by the way, that's what each one of us is waiting for, that second coming of Christ when he comes again. And when he comes again, will he find his people faithfully about his business? Where will you be and what will you be doing? And that's a question that you need to ask there. But as we continue on in, uh, in Acts 1, you see the choosing of the 12. And the 12 was, it was very, very important. You saw that there were, and Jer, uh, Jeremy pointed out last week, that there were 12 nations in Israel. 13 if you count that. And never mind. We can keep going. Yeah. <laughs> Jeremy knows what I'm talking about. So, yeah, it depends how you divide them or whatever. But basically, the number was 12 that the Lord set apart and so forth. And now you had the choosing of the 12. And one went off and hung himself because he realized he just sold his Lord out. And now the apostles felt compelled to complete that number 12. And by the way, though they completed that number and there was 12, and it's still very symbolic today, it's important to note that we still don't have 12 apostles today. That number was backfilled, and you saw the last, and he called himself also the least of the apostles, even the apostle Paul. Okay? But we don't have that leadership position today. But there are other leaders in the church. Now you find yourself with the 120 that have gathered there in, in chapter uh, 1. And they were gathered there and they were waiting just as a, the promise that the Lord had told them to do. So they were waiting there. And now I want to take up chapter 2 very quickly. Chapter 2 says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. That's 120 that you saw in verse 15 from chapter 1. And suddenly... A sound like a blowing, violent, or rushing wind came in, and the Spirit, as in fire, came down, ascended, divided himself in tongues, as it were, or spread himself in tongues over each one that was present there, saying that this one I chose, this one I chose, this one I chose, this one is also mine, and so forth. And by the way, before I forget, because I got old timers, you know, over here. Before I forget, if you do not have the Spirit of God within you, you don't belong to God. And so if you do have the Spirit of God, you do belong to Him. You are His child. He has chosen you, and He wants you to be in His family. Now that becomes a, important a little bit later on. Actually, it's very important from the beginning, but, but a little bit later on in our study here. So they saw what seemed to be like tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them. And it says, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. 
They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Those tongues of fire, that rushing, violent, inescapably audible sound came to them and they heard and they saw. And what are we told in scriptures? By two or more witnesses, a matter is confirmed. They knew that this was God reaching down to man, showing to everyone there, displaying His glory to everyone there, manifestly affirming His presence with them. God is with men in the person of His Holy Spirit. Remember the promise to his disciples? You know, I need to go away. You know, the Son of Man you know, will be killed. You know, the, the Son of Man is you know, going to be, you know, but after three days and so forth, he's going to rise again. But don't, don't worry, be of good cheer and all that. I'm going to send another one for you, a comforter, a Holy Spirit, the one who come alongside you. This is a fulfillment of that promise. This is the fulfillment of that promise. The Holy Spirit is now come and is dwelling among men. And he's displaying himself to all these that have gathered. Now those that were gathered, the 120 and so, that, that had gathered there were all Christians. So we're not saying that the Holy Spirit, you know, just came upon them and now they became Christians. No, they were already believers in Christ. They just received an infilling from the Holy Spirit like no other has ever received before. By the way, what we have up to this time were people that were waiting for the presence of Christ. On your left, as you go from left to right, reading history, on your left you have the Old Testament and all the fulfillment, those that prophesied, those that did wonders and Signs in God's name. Those that were the judges of Israel came and they were all pointing to whom? To Christ. To Christ. To the cross. They were all from every age from the beginning to the time of Christ were pointing to that cross. The cross came. He was born. He came among men and he dwelt among his people and so forth. And what did he do for them? He gave his life for them. And then he was resurrected and so forth. That whole story. Now you have every one of us who are on the other side. And we're looking back. Right in the middle is the cross. The crucible, you know, the crucible of Christianity. The crux, if you will. The matter of fact. He came and he dwelt among his own. Some didn't appreciate it and some did. Some believed, some didn't. But where are we? We're over on this side. And we affirm and we attest as well to the truth of this word. That Christ, in fact, did come. He did die for the sins of all mankind. He did rise again, proving he could conquer sin and death. And now we have him telling, excuse me, that early church to wait for me. Wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. Wait for my presence to come. And there they were for that week, waiting, watching, and praying. And the Lord came. The Lord came in the person of His Holy Spirit and He dwelt among men. And beautiful was that dwelling. All right. I'm looking out here. I don't see any tongues of fire on anybody else, you know. 
I've heard a commercial where your hair's on fire, you know, and the guy doesn't doesn't get alarmed. Some of you don't know follow commercials like I do, but anyway, they won't. No way. So and 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 I don't I don't hear any big wind right now. By the way, sometimes we do hear a wind. Is that God speaking to us? Maybe, maybe yes, maybe no. But take every opportunity as you see things and as you hear things, especially if they're hearing and saying the same thing. Okay? If you see something that matches up with what you hear, hmm, maybe it's something I should pay attention to. If you see the church doing what the Lord told them to do, then maybe that's the right thing. Maybe that's the right thing. Let's look at this a little bit more. So they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, it says, and they began to speak in other tongues. Well, what was the purpose of the tongues? Well, look at this. What did you have in Jerusalem at this particular time? You had everybody that had come to celebrate what? The Feast of the Passover. So they had come. To celebrate, and they, they came from all these different nations and so forth. And not everybody spoke the same language. Somebody, you know, some of them might have forgotten their, you know, Aramaic. Maybe they've been in the diaspora for a long time. They've spread out and they've, you know, gone to these other countries and just been thoroughly inbred in that particular native uh, native tongue for 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 those areas, some, by the way, want to explain this away and say that there were, you know, just kind of how we sometimes divide it, Jews and, and Gentiles. And okay, yeah, they either spoke Aramaic or they spoke uh, uh, another Yiddish, uh, Yiddish language or they spoke some Greek dialect, okay? Nonetheless, it says what? What right here? They began to speak in other tongues. Was that known languages or unknown languages? I am going to deal with the issue of glossolalia very, uh, very minutely. I'm going to gloss over it, if you will. Okay? I am not a believer that we need to necessarily spend a lot of time in speaking in unknown languages. What was the purpose again? Going back to Jerusalem with all these people that had come in from all these countries to be there. What would be the purpose for languages to be spoken, uh, to, for everyone to be able to hear in their own tongue or for languages to be spoken that they would understand? By the way, when the Bible was written, it was written in the language of the people. In the Old Testament, you have, what do you have? You have the Hebrew language. You have some Aramaic, uh, uh, Aramaic words. New Testament, same thing. Some Aramaic, Aramaic, very briefly, but mostly Gentile language or the Greek language, if you will written in the language of the people. Now, how many of you speak uh, a Yiddish language or Greek today? No, we don't. And so what do we do? We speak English, and so we want an English Bible too, right? In the language of the people. God in every nation and in everywhere around the world wants to speak to people in their language right where they are. 
Now, you remember there was a Tower of Babel when everybody tried to go up to heaven. They were all, at that time, speaking the same language, and they tried to make their way up to heaven, right? What did God say? Boom, see ya. It's not you by your effort. It's me by what I've done. So, boom, he, you know, tears down the, that tower, and all the people are spread. And what happens after that? They started speaking to one another, but they didn't understand each other. Why? Because he confused their languages, so they began to go off and just... You know, only talk to the ones that they knew how to talk to. Well, God is bringing that back he, in just the opposite. He's brought all these people together now, and now they're beginning to speak in languages that they all understand. And it's for the purpose of them to understand the work of Christ, what He has done. We are no longer celebrating the Passover annually as we did before. It's a new covenant that's been established. Christ, remember, met with His disciples at one last time, and He said He was establishing a new covenant. So when they celebrated the Passover, He said, I will become for you that new and everlasting uh, sacrifice. I'm establishing a new and everlasting covenant with you. This is it. We're living in those days. And now we look back to that and we see what he did. So we find ourselves here in Jerusalem. The disciples have come back. They've been ministered to. They've been waiting. They've been watching. They've been praying. And now the Holy Spirit comes to them. And all of them, it says, were filled with the Holy Spirit. And began, they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. It's not as they got conjured up. It's not as they began to foment themselves. It's not as, a, you know, ooh, I'm filled with the... You know, it's none of that stuff. It's not a tent meeting Friday night and everybody's going to get saved. It's woo, none of that. It's not a show, folks. It's not a clown. There's no performer. There's no court gesture when it comes to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does as He wills. He is our sovereign God. He chooses to give these blessings as He willed. And on that particular time, when the Lord had already told His people to wait there, wait for the promise of the Spirit. And when they waited, and they watched, and they prayed for it, the Lord fulfilled His promise, and He gave that to them. We find ourselves in this introductory part where the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. Some of you like to keep notes, so call that point one. The Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak. In other tongues, as the Holy Spirit enabled them. Now, as we look at the passage that we also read a little bit earlier, there were staying in Jerusalem. Who was there? God-fearing Jews from all these different nations. God-fearing Jews who had come to celebrate the Passover. They were all there. They were gathered there. These God-fearing Jews from all these other nations, all these other areas. And they came, and we already went through that list. And if you saw that, uh, saw that there, it says, and, uh, you know, all the, from every nation under, under heaven. And when they heard a sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one of them heard them speaking in his own language. Now some, as I deal with this issue of glossolalia, say, well, the miracle was in the hearing. God touched everybody's ears and they all heard their language in their own hearing. Well, how is it that it says that they were all speaking in other languages or other tongues? Well, is the, it was the, the miracle of the Holy Spirit that day given in the hearing or was it given in the speaking? 
Yes. Yes. God made it possible that day so that men could speak in other languages. And by the way, they may have also known them. I don't know. Some, that's how some have explained it away. They were speaking either, and by the way, every one of these would, would have known a Greek language. By the way, you go to Europe today, and what do they know? They know English, they know their language, and they know their neighboring countries' languages, generally speaking. Why? English was the language, is, is the language of commerce today. And so they would have known Greek, which was the language of commerce in that day. But did they know all the dialects? Probably not. Probably not. But if they did, maybe that helps explain it. And some people, you know, don't want to believe in miracles or don't want to say that there is such a thing as speaking in tongues. You know, don't, don't want to abide by that. And I'm not saying that it continues. I'm saying we have everything that we need right here, folks, today. We have everything already. We don't need to go looking and wonder about speaking another language. By the way, what did Paul, the least of the apostles, what did he say? I speak in tongues more than you all. But I would that, you know, uh, I would rather speak five words in a known tongue, in a, in, in a clear way, than 10,000 in an unknown tongue. Why? That's the way it should be in our church, where we're speaking clearly and truthfully to the Word of God. I remember uh, I was a chaplain's aide when I was in the Marine Corps and the we got a new chaplain and I really liked him we were praying every morning together which was great something you didn't do with the other chaplains they were naval officers I was Marine Corps enlisted you know a little bit of a difference uh, you know to them uh, you know we were just uh, never mind I won't go into all the military stuff but anyway we got this new guy and wow, and then all of a sudden, you know, we were praying and just having a great time after we prayed for weeks together. You know, what? I said, sir, that was a great prayer. What was that? What were, what were you praying? He said, I don't know. I was praying in an unknown tongue. What do you mean you don't know? I thought you were praying in the Spirit. So what did you say? And I'm a young, you know, young enlisted Marine, and I, I, don't, I don't know what's going on. I'm a new, you know, fairly young Christian, three or four years in the Lord and whatever. What's going on? Wow, this is, this is great. You're speaking in the Spirit. What did you say? What did you say? What did God say to you? And I'm just all ears and all open. And what are you, what are you talking about? I don't know. I was just speaking in the Spirit. Ooh. Sir, I'm not sure that's what the Word says. And by the way, who is this young buck? I, I think I was an E3 at that time. And anybody knows the military, that's not much in the military. And here I'm talking to an 04, 05. Ooh. And questioning an officer in the naval forces of the, of the United States. Sir, I'm not sure that's scriptural. Mm. Food for thought. Food for thought. What did Paul say there in 1 Corinthians? Let's be clear about what we say so that things are done orderly in the church. So you have all these God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven, but they heard this sound. They're all utterly you know, bewildered and so forth. Each of them speaking his own language. They're utterly amazed. And 
they, are, they started asking, are not all these Galileans that are there? Are not all these Galileans? Then how is it that each one of us hears in his own native tongue? Parthenians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews, uh, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. So what do you have, 1820, somewhere in there? So, and we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tugs, and amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Folks, I would suggest to you that what this means is that by all means possible, with the Spirit of God's help, with Him giving them direction and ability, God was getting His Word out to these people from all these different regions. There is no greater purpose. If you can pray in the Spirit and you feel good for yourself, oh great, okay, how does that edify? How does that build up the body? How does that help the church? So if I get a massage, that helps you? It only helps me, right? If I speak in tongues, how does that help you? It only makes me feel better. I don't know, I feel good. Okay, so you feel good. What did it bring about? Did it bring out any positive change in your life? Or did you do any good because of it? Think about it. So some, however, made fun of them. Verse 13. They have had too much wine. <laughs> yeah, they were stupefying, right? Right. So you have the Holy Spirit coming to Pentecost. And what did he do? I would suggest that he led the people to be able to share the word of God in a language Maybe they hadn't studied. Maybe they had studied before. They spoke in other languages, other tongues, so that people could hear the word of God and so that they thereby might also grow. Okay? Second area would be Peter addresses the crowd. There's about three different areas in there that I want to share. The fourth would be, or excuse me, the third would be that the Lord grows His church a little bit later. And then the last one, if you're copying down points, the believers have fellowship. So here we are, Peter addressing the church. He'd just been accused of having too much wine. Some people there were hearing, some people were amazed, some people were astonished. Some were also hearing the word and just kind of perplexed maybe, but still kind of wondering. And others were mocking, making fun. But Peter stands up with the eleven. He raised his voice and he addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is only what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And now you have the fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures. 
It says in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below and blood and fire and billow of smoke. And the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, what does it say? Will be saved. Wow. Wow. You know, Peter might have backed down from a little girl just a little while before this. But man, is he ever stepping up to the plate now. You have all these people that are gathered and, you know, now he's being mocked by religious leaders and other people were saying that, oh, you guys are all just drunk and so forth. Woo. And he stands up and he holds his place. These men are not drunk as you suppose, but they're filled with the Spirit. And he shares with them. He shares with them the Old Testament Scripture. Today it's fulfilled in your hearing. Peter's ministry has begun. Peter's ministry has begun. By the way, have you heard the expression, there's more than one way to skin a cat? And by the way, I'm not suggesting you do that, okay? I'm just saying, you know, more way, just the, the proverb has to do with there's more than one way to get it done, okay? All right. So Brother Jeremy divided the book of Acts into three areas last week, uh, talking about the whole book. If you look at it another way, uh, the book of Acts can be divided into two ways, Peter's ministry and Paul's ministry. All the way up to verse, chapter 13, you have Peter's ministry, and then Paul's ministry takes over. But any way you divide it, any way you divide the book of Acts, as long as you're reading it, remember? And we've had our Little issues with, you know, which version is better, whatever. The Red Bible. Remember the one you read? Okay. that's So anything that gets us in the Word. Okay? If you're listening to Dr. Charles Stanley or Dr. David Hawking or, you know, John MacArthur, I don't care. Great. But is it getting you in the Word of God? Okay? You don't have a famous preacher standing before you today, but you do have a faithful servant sometimes that actually believes the word, studies it, and wants to share it with you, okay? And hopefully that's what we have with everyone who takes this particular position. So you have Peter addressing the crowd. In that first part there, uh, A if you want to, or you know, point one or whatever, the Old Testament is fulfilled. There you have in Joel 2.28 and so forth. You have the Old Testament being fulfilled. Scripture is being fulfilled. And God doesn't share something. And His prophets don't prophesy and are not true prophets unless that prophecy comes to pass. How can we tell if something is so or not? Give it some time. Right? Give it some time. We'll see. And see whether what they say comes to pass. Now the second section talks about Jesus as the Messiah. Men of Israel, verse 22. Listen to this. This is his message, continues on. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him. And you yourselves know 
This man was handed over to you by, by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. By the way, he did not read the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Ooh. Folks, sometimes when we share the truth, we share the truth in love. And we try to be merciful, but you also let the chips fall where they may. Folks, if you're living in sin, you need to step outside. Get it right. And come back. Tough, tough discipline. But that's what God calls for. Same time I share this, I'm thinking of a man and his wife. This guy's got a ton of years on the department. 34 years of marriage. And now his wife is crying. Rick, pray for me. Pray for me. He's not listening. Pray for me. His mother's dying. He's not even visiting her. Some young hottie, I don't even know. I know her name, but I don't know who she is. Like, wow. What are you giving up? Yeah, I know, but I still miss you guys, you know. You do? You're showing it in a funny way. You left the house and you're staying with her, I guess, or whatever you're doing, but that, those kinds of things happen. So when something like that happens, by the way, that's not in our church. That's in the City of Angels. If something like that is happening in the church, should we address it or not? Or just, oh, I just hope it'll get better. It doesn't get better, folks, unless we're praying for it and we do something about it. So I'd ask you to pray for David and Irene. Appreciate that. So men of Israel, listen to this. This Jesus was a man accredited by God to you by signs, wonders, miracles, the whole nine yards. You know that God has placed them there and so forth. But wicked men, of which some of, some of you are wicked. That's what Peter was saying. I'm not calling you wicked. And they put him to death by nailing him to a cross. But God raised him up, verse 24, from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep hold of him. Just like David said, verse 25, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at the right, right hand and I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will always live in hope because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the path of life and you will fill me with joy in your presence. Wow. Brothers, I can tell you confidently, he says, that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. But he is a prophet and knew that God had promised him an oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. And seeing what was ahead, this is David now, and seeing what was ahead, verse 31, he spoke of the resurrection of Christ. That he was not abandoned to the grave. Nor did he see decay. 
God has raised him up, this Jesus, to life. And we are all witnesses of that fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he, will, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Wow, look at the message that he shared. Jesus is the Messiah, folks. Jesus is the Messiah. Men of Israel, he says in this second section under, uh, under his message, under his sermon. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was accredited by God and so forth. You saw what happened to him, how God raised him up, even though evil men put him to death. And then you saw the prophecy of David, how he prophesied from of old. And Peter goes on to say, brothers, I tell you confidently that this patriarch, David, died and was buried. But before he was, what did he do? He prophesied about Christ coming. He prophesied about the one that would take his place on an everlasting throne. That he would be king forever. Who are we talking about, folks? Shouldn't be any question here. We're talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. And seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of Christ, that he was abandoned to the grave, but his body didn't see decay. And we know that Jesus was resurrected. And, Paul, excuse me, and Peter says here that we've also been witnesses to this fact. That God raised this Jesus whom you crucified. He raised him to life. And we're all witnesses of that. Wow. And he continues on. Look here. Christ can change lives is the third point under this. Therefore, all of Israel, verse 36, therefore, all of Israel, be assured of this, that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Whether you accept Jesus or reject him, you'll never be the same because of him. Whether you accept him or reject him, you'll never be the same. Therefore, let all of Israel be assured of this. Remember who's Peter preaching to? He's preaching to some people who believe, some people who are perplexed, some who are bewildered, some who are amazed, but also some who mocked them and said they were just drunk. That's who he was speaking to. And as he shares this with all these 20-some-odd regions of people that have come to Jerusalem at this time, as well as, no doubt, some of the religious leaders were also there. Maybe they were the ones doing the mocking and so forth. Who knows? He's preaching to them, and he says, Therefore, let all of Israel... Not just 120 in the upper room. Not just all the people that have gathered here. But let all of Israel. Let all of God's chosen people. Be assured of this. That God has made this Jesus. Whom you crucified. Both Lord. And Christ. I have some Jewish friends. I have some Jewish rabbi friends. Some of the beauty of. The rabbis that I know, man, are they scholars on the Torah. Just like, mm, okay, well, I didn't know that, um, you know, so I'd be ignorant, you know, just extremely bright. 
and fluid with the word. Got a great command of scripture as it comes from the Old Testament. And great ways, by the way, to, to share it because that's what they do. They question and answer each other constantly. Beautiful. But what pains me is not all of them. Most do not know this Jesus who was crucified and have not accepted him. So do I love him? Yes. Do I appreciate him? Yes. Do I revel in their friendship? Absolutely. But do I also pray for their soul? You bet. You bet. Therefore, let all of Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. It doesn't matter what you think of him. He's still the Lord. He's still our Christ, which, by the way, means deliverer. Okay? The promised one of God, our Messiah. The Messiah, whether the Jews accepted him or not. Look at verse 37. When the people heard this, they were cut to their heart, and they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And this brings us to the point of our decision today. Brothers, what should we do? But Peter replies, and here's, here's kind of the uh, next big section, the Lord grows His church. Peter replies, and by the way, you cannot grow unless you get rid of those bad things, right? You have to cut off the dead parts in order for the rest of the plant to grow. So Peter replies, verse 39, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sin. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That first part is real, real hard. That repent. How do you repent? Repent and be baptized. If you're going the wrong way, folks, make a U-turn, an about face, whatever you want to call it, and make sure you're going to God. If you're going the wrong way, then correct your, you know, your, your navigation. By the way, we had one of these, you know, tom-toms or whatever it is that led us astray. You know, the rental company gave it to us, and I don't think we're going the right place. We've been here before, but I don't remember exactly, but this doesn't seem right. If it doesn't seem right, maybe it's not. Maybe it's not. Brother Jeremy recently had, had an experience too. Remember that? I told you to meet me over here and you were going that way because some bad program that some man put in the system and whatever or haywired and what have you. But by the way, the Holy Spirit will not lead you astray. He will only call you to himself. He is a benevolent God who will love you, receive you, and he'll constantly woo you to his presence. Listen to him. Listen to him. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. Folks, let it go. It's not worth it. Follow the Lord. And it says, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. Wow. Everyone that calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen. Verse 39. And the promise is for you and your children, for all who are far, who are far off, and for all who call. Uh, whom the Lord our God will call. So who's this promise for, folks? Is it just for you? Is it just for me and my wife, our two kids, us four and no more? There used to be a saying in the olden days. Me, my wife, us, our two kids, us four and no more. Wow. 
I'm sorry, but it's for everybody. For everybody. For anybody who will call upon the name of the Lord. For anybody that will recognize that Jesus came and that he offers himself up. Look at what he did on the cross. Remember and believe. Repent if you need to, if you haven't already. Turn from your wicked ways of scripturally, or okay, or your mistakes, or oh, I omitted to do that, or you know, your good intentions, or whatever it is. The Bible just simply calls it sin, or missing the mark that God called you to. Whatever we call it, if you say, well, you know, I had a lapse in judgment, or call it what you will. Call it what you will. You still ended up dirty. And you need to get washed up. That's where baptism comes in. Repent and be baptized. And you'll receive the Holy Spirit. And this promise is for who? Just you and me? No. Promise is for everybody. For everybody that will call upon the name of the Lord. Why did the Holy Spirit come? And why did the Holy Spirit show himself so clearly? And why was it that everybody heard there? People from all these different nations. All these different nations. How did they... Why was it that the Holy Spirit gave utterance so that they could hear? Why was it that the Holy Spirit gave them understanding so that they could comprehend? Why was it? It was to get the truth of God there. That I'm calling you. I'm calling you. I'm calling you. I'm calling everybody. I'm calling upon everybody. And everybody will listen to the name of the Lord. And everybody will call upon Him. Will be saved. So, what do you have here? Lord wants to grow his church. Let's look at that a little bit more. So it begins with repentance and baptism. It, re, it begins with the forgiveness of sins. And it also begins at that same time, once you've been forgiven of your sins, the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you are one of God's. Remember that scripture I shared with you? If you have not the Spirit of Christ, you're none of his. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are afar off. You and your family, absolutely. But your neighbor. We shared Acts 1-8 today in the call to worship, right? It's your family right here. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. All of those areas. Verse 40. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded them. And he said, save yourself from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. About 3,000. Can you imagine an altar call with 3,000? I think the only one that can possibly do that would be uh, Paul or uh, uh, what, what is his name? trying to think, South American evangelist. Um, some of you guys will help me out a little bit later. And then uh, Billy Graham, obviously. But, you know, Jeremy or yours truly? <laughs> I've got up and preached many times. I've never had 3,000 come and say, I want to accept the Lord. Never experienced that. Never experienced that. But we've never experienced the Holy Spirit coming upon like He did at the day of Pentecost. And with many other words he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourself from this corrupt generation. So after Peter gets through with his message that day, 
it says that those who accepted the message were baptized and about 3,000 of them were added to the number of the church. And then you see the fel- their fellowship. Believers have fellowship with one another. You say, or you talk to some people and they say, well, you know, is it really that important that I go to church? Absolutely. And I think that passage was shared not too long ago. Uh, Hebrews, what is that, 1025? Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, as is the habit of some, but all the more draw near. Okay? You know, uh, to stimulate one another to love and to good deeds. Okay? So that's what we're supposed to do. So it says that they devoted themselves. Here we have the fellowship of the believers. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. All those who were being saved, the 120, the 3,000. And by the way, the 3,000, you might say, well, um, just kind of looking at that number, basically the only ones that were counted were who? The men. They have wives, right? Some of them do. Children, maybe. Okay. You can kind of see where I'm going with that. The number could have been much, much greater even than that. So these 3,000 plus, well north of 3,000, were added to the church that day. And they now are devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. Okay? These were the early leaders in the church. And to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. And everyone was filled with awe, and many signs and wonders and uh, and, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. And all the believers had everything together and in common, selling their possessions and good. They gave to everyone as he had need and so forth. They shared, make sure everybody was okay. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere heart, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Now what does it say again? And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. I've heard it said, and I I wonder if you can kind of go along with me, that if you're not growing, you're dying. If you're not growing, you're dying. Some of us might be growing and dying at the same time. Uh, Growing in places I don't want to grow. Okay? And also you see the dead skins there. Yes, we are a generation that is falling off. But a new generation has come. And those people are coming and they're living. And they're you know, just, just watching grandchildren, the beauty of, of their inquisitiveness and how they are beginning to come to the Lord on their own and calling after God. And that's what the picture of the church should be. Where we are sharing with others, having... Or, or, or sharing the word of God, the apostles' teaching. Having fellowship, breaking bread together, and praying, all these things. And if anybody has need, we need to take care of that. The church, not send them out, but the church. So they broke bread in their homes, they had everything together. They were, had glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying all the people. And then God was giving the increase. We plant We sow, we share, we water, we pray. And it's God who gives the increase. And by the way, when does he do it? In his own timing. When he chooses to do so. Has God spoken to you today? And if he did, what did he say? And if he told you something, what are you going to do about it? If you've heard the word today, 
then you're also responsible for it. One of the things that, by the way, you know I work internal affairs. One of the big questions or issues is, did you know, and if you didn't know, why not? You've been trained in it. See, you signed this training order. So you knew or should have known. And today, folks, you know or should or should know what we just shared. Now, I don't expect you to explain, explain glossolalia, but I expect you to explain that Christ came and he gave himself for the many. And by all means, he would, you know, he wanted everybody to hear that word in their own language and be able to understand that he died on the cross for their sins. And that if anybody will call upon the name of the Lord, they will be saved. If you're calling upon his name, his likeness, his power, his character, that's what it means to call upon the name of the Lord. If you're calling after his power, if you're calling after his character, if you're calling after his deeds, what he's done for you, if you're calling according to who he is, and if you believe in him, you will be saved. That's the promise of Scripture. And this promise, remember what it said? It's not just for you and your children. It's for all men. Everywhere. Promise for everybody. Even that neighbor, you know, you know which one I'm talking about, right? I, I got him too. He lives next to me. He's cloned himself. It's that same neighbor that just, mm, 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 you know, pray for him too. And that message is for him. Brother James over here laughing, you know, I, yeah. Have you been to my dorm? Yeah. Okay. In a manner of speaking, yes. Yes. We've all got them. And we've also got that black sheep in the family, right? What are we supposed to do for them? Thank God they pray for me. That's how I got saved. All right. Praise the Lord. Let's go ahead and conclude this day's message. And I hope uh, we've gotten a little bit. And that we'll believe it, live it, and share it. Thank you, Lord, for your word today. Thank you for the scriptures that teach us and show us that we have life in your name. We praise you for who you are. We thank you for giving us your Holy Spirit. We thank you that the Spirit testifies within us today that we are yours and we belong to you. But if there be anyone here that doesn't belong to you, that doesn't know you, that does need you, that hasn't repented, that they will call upon you and ask for you to give them new life in your name. We pray. Amen.